This podcast may contain content that is not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. If you are 17 or younger and wish to educate yourself about sex and relationships, you should visit scarletine.com. That's scarletine with one T. Hey, I'm Alicia, your non-monogamous relationship coach. Welcome to the podcast where my friends and I chat about our relationships, enthusiastic non-monogamy, polyamory, swinging, kink, and our lives. You'll get a candid peek into what makes it worth it to live life outside the box. And in case you're still wondering, nope, we're not monogamous. Hello, hello, hello. I want to give a shout out to Rebecca O for being one of my Patreon lovers. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca, for supporting the show. And I'm loving having you on our group calls for those conversations. If you, dear listener, would like to join in our monthly calls and also hear the behind the scenes from this episode, uh, our guest Victor's um hottest, best sex tip, <laughs> then go to patreon.com slash not monogamous and become one of our lovers or friends with benefits and support the show and get a bunch of bonuses. Today's guest is Victor Salmon, and they are a beacon for inspiration for those searching for healthier emotional and, and relational outlook. Their initial exposure to polyamory and subsequent experiences within the BDSM community have shaped their nurturing approach to emotional well-being. Unapologetically open and honest, Victor excels at translating complex emotions into relatable insights that encourage self-reflection and cultivate healthier relationships. If you're seeking guidance on managing jealousy and anger or navigating human connections in an evolving world, Victor's unique insights rooted in both personal experience and deep introspection will prove invaluable to you. I really hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoyed making it. There we go. I did the thing. Wonderful. <laughs> okay. So welcome. You're here and we're I'm talking. We are. <laughs> so I want to first welcome you because I appreciate that you are um, coming on the show and chatting with me. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, so it's clearly the show is nope, we're not monogamous. And so I love to talk about people's experiences with relationships that don't fit in the monogamous box. And so I'm curious what your experience with non-monogamy is, what your relationship style is, how you relate to all that. Um, my experience with non-monogamy um, has been varied. I started out as a non-hierarchical polyamorous person, originally as a unicorn, actually. I joined a, a lovely couple and nice. they were the best introduction to polyamory. This is the opposite of uh -huh. many stories you'll hear about non-monogamy. I knew from a very young age that I was non-monogamous. Like I can trace back to two distinct events in my past where I went, that makes so much sense. Why don't people just do that? Uh -huh. um, hilariously, both of them are Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I love one that. of them, one of the best Star Treks and one of them, one of the worst Star Treks. So I'll start with I'll start with the good news, which yeah. is that um, the first hint that I might be non-monogamous was listening to Whoopi Goldberg's character Guinan give Will Wheaton's character Wesley Crusher advice about love, 
in, um, if I had to guess, I'd say the name of the episode is the Dauphine. Um, anyways, TLDR, um, a boy ends up in love with an alien and turns out they can't be together, shocker, and is heartbroken at the end of the episode. And so the advice he gets from an adult is, you know, like it's, you're, you're not going to love again in the same way, basically, that heartbreak is unique among people and that loving people is unique and that, you know, other people are going to tell you that this will just go away, that you'll forget about this person and in time you'll just love again. And that's, that's not true. Like you're going to resolve these feelings, how you resolve them. And when you love someone else, it's going to feel different. And I just thought that was like such a really critical moment in my growth. Cause I think I watched that when I was like nine or eight or nine. Yeah. So. Oh my God. I love that so much. I'm a big Star Trek fan. So I really appreciate that. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Can you guess what one of the worst Star Treks is? I have no idea. There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> just fair enough, fair enough. There are a lot of them. Yeah. I think aside from the original animated series and the original series, I've seen every episode of every Star Trek, except Prodigy as well, actually, because that's really for teens. Um, I tried to get into it, couldn't do it. So the one I would say is one of the worst would be Enterprise. And basically there is a character on Enterprise who is a doctor, a Denobulin, named Dr. Flux. And he has three wives, as most Denobulins do. And each of his partners has two other partners. It's so interesting that they try and make it as normy a character as possible he's very heterosexual <laughs> and is very into marriage very very fixed about uh, uh trigamy i guess but is very polyfidelitous like he has that that group of his partners and those are his partners and he never explores any kind of relationship outside of that no oh, that's amazing I remember thinking, like, why isn't why isn't marriage like this for human beings? And then I realized, like, oh, for some of us, it is. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> so those are my two foundational experiences in figuring out I was not monogamous, and then I still hadn't figured it out, hadn't clicked for me all through high school. Um, I tried dating monogamously with mm -hmm. with pretty much terrible success because you know high school. I mean, who has success in high school? And if you do, props to you, but that is not me. Right. <laughs> not my experience. So, yeah, not my, not my experience. Mileage may vary. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I ended up in uh, in a five-year serious monogamous relationship with a proposal and, and it didn't end up going through to marriage. For me, the proposal was a commitment to work on our issues. And I think, I think, and again, I can't speak for this individual, but for this individual, the proposal, I think, was the solution to the issues. Mm -hmm. And that's where we sort of really diverged. And from there, the relationship kind of spiraled a bit. We're still on like decent terms, but we don't really talk anymore, which is understandable. It's been a very long time. Sure. So for me now, I, I guess that takes us all the way to my early 20s when I first got into non-monogamy, which would be like 24. I was fresh into the BDSM scene. And uh, that's when I got introduced to non-monogamy was through BDSM. Yeah. So it was through this like really intense culture of consent and this, and I just couldn't grasp that like partners were totally okay with me dating their partners. Mm -hmm. Like it made a lot of sense for me to be okay with people dating my partner, but it didn't make sense for me for other people to be okay with me dating their partner. Yeah. And that's just based on like the, the history, right? Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd see other people being super possessive and it doesn't feel safe. But then when your partner wants to go out and have other partners, if you're the kind of person that's like, yeah, free love, go do the thing, um, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to you. Yeah. Oh, how did you wrap your head around that? Like, how did you get to 
Like, oh, hmm. you got, you're actually okay with this. That's a really great question. And the answer would be that first unicorn experience, having that couple that sort of took me in and fostered me as a unicorn. Cause I always think of unicorns as like a fostering system, not a hunting system. Ooh, yeah. 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 It's like, if you really want to sleep with lots of people and bring them into your relationship, you need a cheese wheel. <laughs> You, you got to foster a unicorn. You got to feed them. If you don't feed your unicorn, your unicorn's not going to be as comfortable as humanly possible. Oh, I love that. Oh my God. Like maybe a whole charcuterie board. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> whole charcuterie board, but the cheese wheel is key. I'm just kidding. Uh, depends <laughs> on the person. Maybe they're non-dairy. Maybe they're non-dairy. That's right. Maybe they and just I need mean, some hummus. That, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And chickpeas will solve all of your sexual problems is what I'm hearing from this. That's the takeaway. <laughs> Key takeaway. Key takeaway. Chickpeas solve problems. They do. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Uh, I also have ADHD and I recently changed my meds, so I may meander a bit, but I think that's probably par for the course for the format. I'm here for it. Wonderful. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. Uh, um, so, so yeah, yeah, so getting involved with that, that couple, um, was lovely for me and they both modeled this really i think of it as super healthy loving non-possession it was very much like you can make appointments to to see you know partners if, if you want to um you see whoever you want and also you can make appointments to see us individually but we would also like an appointment to see you like appointment sounds so formal um like a date to see you together um maybe like once a month or once every few weeks or something that's what we did we just saw each other mostly together um i didn't really make very many individual appointments because it was so novel for me to have these incredible three-way experiences and um the um the lady in question um i'm still friends with and we still do bdsm scenes and, and even the gentleman in question i'm still friends with as well we just don't see him directly or or really have that much of an ongoing relationship today. Yeah. But at the time it was it was great. I learned about all sorts of things. That relationship taught me about like masculine insecurity and like how to support other masculine people, like how to how to just like show love and compliments and just like like finding ways to work in how your metamor um is super important or why you respect or value them. And I think with with metamors, it doesn't take a lot to show goodwill and good faith. Yeah. Yeah. It can take a lot to receive goodwill and good faith. Oh. But those yeah. are different, those are different things. So you can show goodwill and good faith to a metamor even in the midst of a threesome. Um, and sometimes that's just a smile, right? Like yeah. sometimes you're just showing like acceptance and care. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be like this huge, huge thing. So for me, that was my introduction. That was my first non-monogamous relationship was that one as a unicorn. And then from there, um, I think I started learning about just how hard being a hinge partner is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, helping support people through insecurity. And I, I ended up with a lot of really difficult struggles, I think, around people being very angry with me, even though they, you know, describe themselves as very non-monogamous or, you know, polyamorous or even relationship anarchists. Um, just folks who said they were super open to different arrangements. And then what I found was sometimes those folks, and I, and I love them to pieces, it's no shade on them, um, but sometimes those folks maybe hadn't done quite as much work as would have served them yeah. in 
identifying how they were feeling, learning skills to process their feelings outside of the relationship. And the result of that was I developed a lot of, I don't want to say trauma, maybe lowercase t trauma, but just like a lot of stress and anxiety mm-hmm. around supporting partners through their jealousy and their anger. Because anger can be really scary for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely grew up people. in a household for most people, but I, I definitely grew up in a household that had violence in it. So for me, it's extra scary. Yeah. And when you get into those sort of extra scary pieces that can really interrupt intimacy and relationship and can make it quite difficult. So what I would say, I suppose, uh, I have no idea what I want to say. I've completely lost my train of thought now. Definitely the ADHD. That's okay. I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> totally right, fine. I, I have okay. a question for you. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, okay. First of all, um, dealing with partners who are feeling angry and upset and jealous and, um, and having that anger, um, feeling, you know, knowing that you're the person that it's aimed at. Did you find that, that you found yourself, um, doing a lot of people pleasing and trying to, trying to deescalate. And, and and what I find that people do is then they start abandoning themselves and they start bypassing their own boundaries, anything to make this, um, to, to reduce the tension and to not have your partner mad at you. Yeah, no, I did all that. Yeah. Yep. 100% yeah. have my number absolutely engaged in people pleasing. Um, and, and that's a pattern too. Like I tend to fall in as a trauma response. Yeah. Um, so engaged in people pleasing, absolutely. Um, didn't enforce my boundaries, uh, just, just tried to make things work and really struggled and ended up asking a lot of partners. Like I, I really, cause I, I essentially ended up with a lot of this, um, like pain around yeah. partner anger and jealousy. And I started developing all this anxiety around the same. So if I would go out with another partner, I would like check in with my partner and I'd be tentative and I'd sometimes even be fearful. Mm-hmm. Um, and my partner's rightly pointed out, like, that's your issue, um, which is a super like unsupportive way to go about it, but also true. Like it is my issue to get over. It's my stuff to resolve. It's my work to do. The flip side of that is when partners are feeling jealousy, you can say the same thing. You can say like, oh, that's not my issue. That's your work to do. But it's also an incredibly unsupportive way to go about that. So for me personally, it's sort of about finding, well, okay, there's like the minimum of what's sort of, you know, required by me in terms of supporting a partner who's experiencing jealousy. But then there's also just like trying to be a really supportive, loving partner and like what that looks like. And I think where those lines really get screwed up for me is when a partner feels really entitled to my emotional labor and support and time around Mm. jealousy. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Alicia here. You know, the voice you've been tuning into episode after episode. Today, I'm popping in with an invitation that's really close to my heart. Behind the scenes, I've been crafting something special just for you, my dedicated listeners. If there's a voice inside you that's seeking guidance on navigating the realms of relationships and non-monogamy, um, wanting to like boost your confidence and find that unwavering sense of security, or you're struggling to manage the tricky waters of jealousy... I'm here to offer my support. I've cleared my schedule to open up 50 slots this month for free one-on-one clarity chats directly with me. So this is your opportunity to dive deep into those pressing questions and come out on the other side with newfound clarity and direction. The availability on this is super limited and these spots are going to fill up really fast. So don't miss your chance to connect with me. 
head over to my website, aliciapayne.com right now. Go secure your spot because together we can uncover a path to a more joyful, fulfilling, and easy non-monogamous journey. Talk to you soon. That's a really good, uh, that's a really good way to kind of define that because there is, there's this like, and I think it's a lot of it is monogamous conditioning and, and just, you know, a, a need to build emotional maturity is mm-hmm. the like, I'm feeling bad. You have to do something about it. It's your right. responsibility versus I'm feeling bad. And here's, here's what I think you could do to help me. Are you willing to do that? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it's so much, it's so much freaking learning. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. There's so much to learn and so much to do and figuring it all out. And then like, you like jealousy is such a, a big emotion, a, a big a, an amalgamation of emotions, but like it feels yeah. huge, especially when it's not super familiar or you ha- aren't familiar or don't have lived experience of um, moving through it and coming out the other side. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Have you interviewed Dr. Julie Hamilton yet? Twice. Oh, fantastic. I adore her. So I talked to her last so week. Much. She's amazing. She is. Yeah. I have a few sessions with her on my podcast as well. We touch on the deep wisdom of jealousy and it's just oh. like, I love her content. She's so good. Yeah. 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 I've got a huge crush on that human. She's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm cu- The other thing I was curious about is, um, your first experience being being a unicorn, mm-hmm. you know, most of the well, it's pretty funny, right? So you've got like the swinger community where being a unicorn is dope. That's so cool. This is just unless a third person who wants to come and bang. Unless you're assigned male at birth, in which case it depends on the swinger community. Fair. Fair. I don't have that experience. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see how that might be a thing. Yeah. It's like instead of instead of queerness being encouraged and fetishized almost to the point where honestly going to some swinger communities, it almost feels a little like high school where it's like, Oh, that, that woman is kissing another woman Look, solely two girls for the purpose. Well, but solely for the purpose of like turning on their partners, like you sometimes they're really into it. And sometimes you see it and you're like, wow, they're really doing that for someone else. Yeah. And like, where did that script come from? And like, it just like, I can see how much packed luggage there is that is yet to be unpacked. And I'm just like, Oh, it's exhausting to look at <laughs> like not mm-hmm. to be judgmental because that feels judgmental to me. But like sometimes when I just I, I see people in a place that I've personally been in with just stuff yeah. that has yet to be unpacked. And I'm just like, oh, this is really taking me out of the mood. You know, I remember what that felt like. <laughs> but um, so so the, the swinger community, you know, people versus. Yes. The uh, polyamorous community where Mm -hmm. you mentioned unicorn and Mm -hmm. everybody is up in arms and this is a horrible thing because you're definitely going to be used and abused by some couple who eventually will hate you. It's kind of of the narrative that we hear. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I think it's the narrative we hear because it's so common. Yes. I mean, but by virtue of being a unicorn doesn't mean you're being abused. Of course not. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm fascinated. I love hearing that this is this this was such a good experience for you. And yeah. uh anyways, that was a long rambly way to ask you um if this couple were was very experienced with non-monogamy prior to yeah, meeting. I, you. I 
I think they they both had. Let me think. Um, we were all young, so mm-hmm. um, the the hingy partner um, had like five years of experience, um, and the other partner probably had like s- five to seven, somewhere in yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So like they weren't brand new, and I think that's part of the key. Like when you hear about these really bad experiences, often you're talking about people opening up from a marriage that have absolutely no experience; they haven't really done the work. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly fine to just live your best life and pursue your dreams. Just you really have to be upfront. And as we say in the BDSM community, you have to play within your your abilities, right? Oh. You want to play within your skill set. If you don't have the skill set to have a third or a unicorn or something like that, and you're pursuing that, there's nothing wrong with that. But you really need to disclose to those people like just how unskilled you are and what the risks are. Like that's kind of needed for informed consent. Having said that, it is so challenging to, um, I think, for a lot of unskilled couples, especially, to find a unicorn that's willing at all, that I think there's a huge temptation to simply promise to do the people-pleasing, like you said, to promise whatever the unicorn asks for, even if it's unreasonable. So if the unicorn's like, well, I want a relationship, not just sex, okay, well, we can make that happen. But it's like, but can you? Do you actually have the skill set to do that? And are you practiced? And like what does it look like when that breaks down and like have you talked about what an exit from that relationship um might feel like because like that's important for everybody including the people in the marriage to talk about yeah yeah absolutely um and and then there's the kind of the you don't know what you don't know right like like people don't know you know they're like well i i have this really great relationship i'm great at relationships i'm great at communication everything is good but what they have is a really great monogamous relationship yeah. that has no experience moving outside of that. And so that's when I think people need guidance and coaching and community and to look for advice. And I actually teach a class on group sex and I, I oh, nice. have a, like a, how to have your first threesome class Aww. because I, it's, it's, it, you know, I think, I think most monogamous hetero couples kind of do the let, let we talk about this thing. There's this fantasy. It's really hot. Awesome. Let's do, hey, let's get your hot friend drunk and see what happens. Yikes. That's that's so common. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I mean, that was my first couple of experiences in, on both both ways. Got as it. As a unicorn and not. Um, <laughs> I was very <Understood>. young. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it was like the, hey, we have this hot fantasy, but we don't actually feel comfortable enough really talking about it. Yikes, yeah. And so, yeah, so I think it's important that people look for resources and information on what other people are doing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah, what has worked for others? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you have that, that class available. Um, yeah. I've never really thought about doing standard offerings or anything like that. Um, I'm I mostly just do completely free resources on my on my site, and then I, I do like um, overly inexpensive classes locally. And it's mm-hmm. just like uh, you can really tell it's a, it's a labor of love for me, and it's a hobby. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just I I don't I'm I'm looking to spend more on the things that I produce to make them more valuable to other individuals. That's I think where I am right now with my mm. consulting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think any good information is valuable. Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. It's all valuable. It's needed. It's so needed. Our whole, um, like 
relational society or like like our culture of relationship is shifting so much right now. People are becoming so like like one. We're just we're aware that mon- monogamy isn't the only way. I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, and people are becoming so much more open about talking about their desires and their fantasies and their um, even even in monogamous relationships, wanting things that don't look like the script that they started right. with. Right. Right. People don't even know where to go to look for new scripts. They yeah. they don't know where to go. Like most people haven't read Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, which blows my mind because as a person who's, you know, neurodivergent, ADHD at, at the very least, if not, I, 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 so the way I would describe it is like a kiss of autism. Um, but, uh, <laughs> just a little touch. Just a little touch. <laughs> yeah. It's just enough to be, but, but that's the thing with ADHD. There's so much overlap with autism, <clears throat> but yep. the, uh, the fundamental cause of it is slightly different, supposedly, um, in attention rather than, um, than, than simply not understanding, but I feel like there's a large dose of that um, as well. I, I would say that both share a lot of the, it's not important. This isn't a podcast, but neurodivergence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could have that conversation all day long too, because I also have ADHD and so does my daughter and so does my mother. And like, <laughs> yep. and probably most of the people I'm in relationship with. Um. <laughs> yeah. Neurodivergence flock together. It's just like, we understand how the other communicates. We really, we're really good with info dumping, which I think is one of the reasons why we end up being podcast hosts. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Let me tell you about this thing. <laughs> For like 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> but people are looking for resources, right? Yeah. Like they're looking for how do I, how do I, how do I talk to my partner about these things? How do, how do we, how do we meet people who are into these things that our friends probably think is weird? <laughs> I have a really interesting resource, actually. When I was doing a lot of my research on transformative justice, I came across this needs-based framework from Australia, New Zealand, um, and it focuses on on need satisfaction as a form of good. Like, people will secure goods, and when they get desperate enough, they can't get those goods. They resort to less ethical means. It was a really interesting, um, interesting model of human needs because I'm used to looking at NVC, nonviolent communication or compassionate communication for the uninitiated, um, that focuses on like these are sort of like the seven, I think, categories of major human needs. And then within them, there are all of these different kinds of needs that are like subcategories. And then there are all the synonyms. And you kind of have to learn the vocabulary of human needs to be able to really even be self-aware of what they are. Like you have to know what they are to know whether you have them or not. Yeah. And so NVC is a really great framework. It's usually one of the first ones I start folks on when I'm coaching and consulting with them. Um, But then also there's this really interesting um, good primary goods, secondary goods type framework. um, That's like, I would need to look it up. Um, But uh, I remember coming across it and I, I really like it in the sense that it it models like I, I don't want to say it justifies bad behavior because that that's my fear. It's usually used to look at like criminal infractions. But if we're looking instead at, you know, couples who are exploitative <clears throat> of thirds or just not as kind or caring as they as they could be, mm-hmm. um, that's also a framework um, that one could look at. Yeah, I I love that. Um, We're going to find it. Uh, I love that because it's one of the things that I talk about um, when we're talking about 
uh, like jealousy and insecurity in relationships, I often reference uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs because, you know, basically like if our base needs aren't being met and we are in fear of losing, you know, safety and security and like our basic uh, financial security or our um, relational security, then things like jealousy and envy and like being really fearful gets a lot bigger. Right. And so, so in battling that you have to like start going, okay, how are my needs being met? What are my needs? What, what is, what is left here? That's, that's being activated because like, like there's all the things, right. Like, um, uh, you know, like our past relationship experiences and our childhood wounds and our attachment styles. There's all these things yes. you can look at, but some of the first things are, are my needs being met? Like, am I meeting my own needs? Are you, am I scared that you're going to take things away from me that will leave me in a bad situation? And right. then have I eaten and have I had enough sleep? And um, <laughs> have I been petted recently? And <laughs> <laughs> am am I a well taken care of pet? <laughs> yeah, totally. For those of us who are pets, absolutely. <laughs> so, okay, I want to ask you this: yeah. um, move s- moving from kind of a, a typical monogamous relationship that we're supposed to do and then moving into non-monogamy. Um, I love mm-hmm. that your introduction was through BDSM because there's so much good stuff happening there, yeah. but I'm curious what your biggest challenges were. In... Moving into non-monogamy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like what we already discussed, people pleasing boundary yeah. setting, um, being able to be appropriately sensitive to my partner's jealousy rather than overly sensitive mm-hmm. or undersensitive. Yeah. So being able to reattune that like emotional microphone that, um, you know, I'd had people scream into before. um, And that makes it very hard to put the headphones back on. (sighs) Yeah, that's a really good analogy. I like that (laughs) that a lot. Uh, What would you say has been the biggest growth area for you or impact for you in that the biggest growth area or impact um i think there's so many things going on right like on the one hand being able to sort of look at my attachment style in like with polysecure is an excellent book mm-hmm. um yeah, um, that that was one area for sure. Attachment styles, which you already mentioned. Interestingly, I was in a relationship with someone who had an anxious avoidant attachment style who described me as secure. And I was like, that's the first time anyone's ever described me that way. <laughs> um, but I but I was I was modeling like a lot of security and stability. And it felt easy because it didn't feel like um, like I was the one that that sort of was needing to change a lot Mm. i think like a lot of the focus on change um that my partner had was on on herself yeah so that made it a lot easier to seem stable it's like you're you're it's easier to be your best self when you believe in your best self at all yeah and i think it's it's really hard when all you see are problems 
to see yourself as a really quote unquote good poly person as the Mm -hmm. saying goes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. And I, I've noticed that as well, that like attachment styles really shift depending on, well, one, like, like the amount of work that you put in on healing and, and, and shifting things for yourself, but also just the relation, individual relationships and the structure of those relationships, like the, the energy dynamics in the relationship can shift yeah. that a ton. Mm-hmm. And I find that, um, I find that attachment styles also very flexible, yeah. uh, at least, at least in my experience, it's like, I think that's the thing people are most critical of attachment style, um, sort of attachment theory of is that, you know, you might be anxiously attached to one person and avoidantly attached to another, or you might be, you know, very secure with one person and anxiously attached to another. Yeah. Yeah. And so like figuring out the underlying beliefs that you have about, like you said, where you get your needs met and like about potential outcomes, how could this hurt me? Um, like that can really change your, how you respond. Like maybe your attachment style is anxious and it's just not very provoked in a lot of relationships. And then you meet one person who you really like, and it's deeply provoked there. And you just find yourself engaging in all of these spiraling, super anxious behaviors. Uh-huh. Yep. That is, that is spot on. That totally happens. <laughs> Certainly does. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. I and love I have, that. Fortunately or unfortunately, or through my own fault, um, been someone who I think has provoked a lot of ang- anxious attachment in partners I've been with. And I think part of the reasoning is I'm I'm not always their first monogamous relationship. That's certainly a non-monogamous relationship. That's certainly not true. Um, but sometimes I am. And that can be yeah. one of the reasons that you're the partner that sort of provokes an anxious reaction for the first time for someone yeah. or, or a very heightened anxious reaction. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's um, attachment styles. And then um, there are certainly other areas that I've grown a lot in. I would say therapy, just going to therapy. Yeah. 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 I've had a regular therapist um, when I was in my like late teens. No, when I was in my yeah late teens, early 20s, I was going every week. Um, and then for like from my mid 20s to my mid 30s, I was going like once every two weeks when I was going and I was doing like some years on, some years off. Yeah. Um, and now I see a therapist about once a month. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I wish that, that this, this was something that was more, um, one more socially acceptable, especially yeah. for those, um, people who, who present as men, um, that is like, there's so much stigma around therapy there. Um, and then, and then also just that like, we need support and our parents and friends aren't always the best people to be that support they don't Definitely they don't know not. anything better <laughs> yeah you really want to find like a, a non-monogamy friendly um counselor um they yeah. do exist there are plenty of them yeah 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 um my therapist is a registered clinical counselor um in vancouver i'll throw in a plug uh, nikki bell humor um she's great um very queer friendly very you know non-monogamy friendly for sure and i would say even kink friendly yeah yeah i love that yeah. And like those humans exist. Um, she even did sliding scale when I started because I just didn't have the money to pay full rate. Yeah. Yeah. So like those humans exist. They're out there and yeah, they're hard they to do. find. They may be hard to find in your local area. You may be able to find someone who does distance. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's all those non-monogamous consultants who of course are not therapists, um, such as I assume yourself and also myself. Yeah. 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 Uh, the coaching realm is, uh, there's not a lot but there are several for sure. Yeah. 
for sure. It's not a saturated market. I'll say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, what would you say is something that anybody can do for free to help them approach relationships in a healthier way? Great. That's such a good question. Um, yeah, like looking at looking at needs frameworks, having a vocabulary just to understand like what you need. Um, being able when you're in a position of struggle or emotional disturbance or, or I don't want to say fugue, but uh, when you're when you're on the struggle bus yeah. and you know you're on the struggle bus, um, what what are you afraid of? Like what are those beliefs? Doing a little bit more of that self-reflective work, and if you are not on the struggle bus, you can still do all that work if you've been on said bus before. You can literally just think like, okay, when I was having that horrible experience rather than framing this as like something that was done to me like what were the things that i was struggling with in that moment right like what were the fears i had mm -hmm. what were the needs that were being met that suddenly were not being met mm -hmm. and just sort of taking a personal emotional inventory getting like a really good sense of like okay where was i on the map of human emotions then and and sort of getting good descriptions how did those emotions feel in my body right like kind of touching on somatics a little bit and and then sort of bringing it all home into like okay, so I know what I was feeling. <clears throat> I know what needs weren't being met. How does that relate to like attachment styles? <clears throat> and sort of having that, that conversation as well. And for folks who are just starting, who don't know all of that stuff, um, there are really good resources to start, right? You can always read Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. You can always read Polysecure. It's Jessica Fern, right? I think yep. it's Jessica Fern who wrote that. Yep. Um, and, and there's tons of other stuff you can read as well. But I would say those two for people who have not read anything yet, are a really good starting point for just like improving their human relationships. And I find that both of those books will serve people who end up being monogamous, even if, you know, they're just exploring non-monogamy. There's a yeah. lot of good quality information that'll really help you make monogamous relationships better too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I recommend, I recommend those for anybody in relationships period. Like, like that is information we should all have. Agreed. <laughs> Yeah. And honestly, I feel like non-monogamy isn't necessarily harder than monogamy. I think it's just a different skill set. Some yeah. people just have built the skills for non-monogamy. And the idea of approaching monogamy is like, oh God, that's so difficult. Like, why would anyone want to do that to themselves? And vice versa. People will say the same thing about non-monogamy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think right now, because there's so like monogamy is the default, there are a lot of people who would be better served by non-monogamy who have currently gone through this like acculturation of monogamy that are trying to like unlearn the things that don't serve them. And I think that's where folks like you and I come in is that like we have a lot of that information. We've done a lot of that journey and are still on that journey, right? Because it's kind of a lifetime thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, there's, you know, being a person in relationship with person. people. <laughs> it's the journey. <laughs> there's just a lot more people, I think, transiting from monogamy to non-monogamy than vice versa right now. And that's just by virtue of where we are in time and yeah, yeah. cultural acceptance. Yeah, maybe in another timeline they're going the other way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when will they realize it's not a choice? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, um, is there anything that you would want to share with the listeners that I haven't asked you yet? Um, yeah, it's really valuable to practice mindfulness. I say this as someone with a degree in molecular genetics, like just taking like a 60 second time, like period to just like sit and observe your feelings and your body when you're really struggling will give you enormous 
amounts of data and insights for troubleshooting and figuring stuff out later, whether it's in therapy or on your own. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, it, it kind of blows my mind. I mean, I've been guilty of this as well. How many of us are like, mindfulness, I ain't got time for that. Yeah. No, nope, I just got to keep overthinking this until it goes away. <laughs> yeah. 60 seconds of mindfulness. I would rather spend the next hour and a half tossing and turning. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Instead of like, I'm just going to focus on my breath for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> And it's not necessarily going to fix the problem, but if it turns an hour and a half into half an hour, it saved you a lot of time. It's that's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you very much. I have one more question for you. Okay. And this is for my segment that I um hold aside for the patrons of the show on uh at our patreon.com slash not monogamous. <laughs> Ooh, hello, sexy Patreon listeners. <laughs> So just the tip, what is your favorite or best sex tip? Brilliant. I love it. Thank you. That was like a whole bunch of tips there. That's fantastic. I'm full <laughs> of sex tips. I always love talking about it. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. I love it. That was Victor Salmon and they're just the tip. If you'd like to hear it, go to patreon.com slash not monogamous and become one of my friends with benefits or lovers. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. It would mean the world to me personally and would help us keep this little podcast going if you would subscribe, leave a review, or share this episode with your friends. For more personalized support with your own relationships, we can work together on a one-to-one -one basis. Just visit my website at aliciapain.com and schedule a free call to chat about life, the universe, and your relationships. Bye.